This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 153 of the Sustainable-ish podcast. It is marvellous to have you here. Thank you so much for joining me. In today's episode, I got the opportunity to chat to someone I have been following slash stalking on the internet for quite some time and someone who has been on my bucket list for the podcast for a very long time indeed. And that is Hermione Taylor, who is the co-founder and director of a platform called Do Nation, which is all about inspiring us to change our behaviours and engage in sustainability and the things that we can do to make a difference. Do Nation works with individuals and with organisations as well. And collectively, over 150,000 carbon saving pledges have been made via the platform, resulting in a saving of, I'm trying to read the figures and work them out in my head here, 15 million kilos of carbon dioxide saved every year, which is the same as 254,888 London to Paris flights worth of carbon. Wow. I mean, not just is that an immense amount of carbon saved, but I feel like I need a round of applause for (laughs) navigating my way through those numbers. As I said, I've been wanting to chat to Hermione for a very long time, so it was an absolute joy and a pleasure to speak to her and to hear all about her journey um, and also the wonderful work that Nation are doing. And we speak a little bit um, in the podcast about, about the Ride to Change event, which is happening in November, which is uh, to mark or to kick off, I guess, the start to COP27. So last year, they did a ride from London up to Glasgow for COP26. This year, they decided uh, that riding to Sharm el-Sheikh was perhaps a little bit too far. So there's a four-day ride, I think it is, from Swansea to London at the beginning of November. And I have um, somewhat against my better judgment and much to uh, my fear, is that even a thing? Um, I have signed up for that. So if anybody wants to join me, I would love uh, to see some sustainable-ish listeners um, either on uh, joining me for the day or joining me for all four days if you fancy it. It sounds amazing. I'm slightly scared about my lack of fitness, my lack of an appropriate bike, my inability to mend a puncture, but I'm going to be doing it. So please do check it out and see if you want to join me. Uh, Get on there and check it out. Even without the early bird offer, it's still pretty reasonable, I think, for everything that's included. So 
yes, please do come and um, join me and help me. Uh, They've assured me that the whole route is downhill and or flat, which is awesome. Um, But it sounds like it's going to be a great experience. It's something that will really push me out of my comfort zone and hopefully get to meet loads of really exciting and interesting people in the sustainability world at the same time. So um, here's my plea for some people, some friendly faces um, to come and join me. Um, and do check that out. The link for that is in the show notes. But for now, enjoy this chat with Hermione. I hope you find it as inspiring as I did. And I will catch you next time. Take care. Hello, Hermione. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. I've been wanting to speak to you for literally years. So this is very, very exciting for me. (laughs) I am very glad that it is finally happening, Jen. It's taken a while, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, it has, hasn't it? Um, Before we kick off, I just want to apologise in advance if there is any background noise. We're recording this over the summer holidays. So I've got the kids and they've got a friend around and the dog's probably going to bark and all that sort of thing. So just apologies in advance, listeners, if there is some shrieking and shouting. And, you know, they've been told to be quiet, which probably means that the volume will double. Brilliant. So you're joining us from France, is that right? That is right, yeah. And you live in France now, you're not just on holidays. I do, yeah. I moved out here nearly five years ago. Um, wow. And thinking it would just be for a short short little trip, but uh, never left. It's, uh, <laughs> I live have the honour, luxury, privilege, privilege is the word yes. I'm after, of living in the in the Alps and wow. the listeners won't be able to see but I have Mont Blanc oh. uh, a view of Mont Blanc from my window wow. and the glaciers which sadly I, I you know I have noticed <laughs> have I was gonna noticed say, does that retreating. just add to your climate anxiety as you see them shrinking <laughs> anxiety yeah motivation too though yes in the heat wave last month swimming in the amazing cool glacier pools but wow looking up at the glacier that the water's melting from is um like it's amazing but it's also very uh very much a wake-up call if we needed it not that we really needed it well I think lots of people maybe still do but (laughs) lots of people do yes (laughs) let's say I probably didn't but um, yeah it does keep there's no there's no harm in constant motivation because yeah Yeah. so tell us your story because it's just I just love it I think it's brilliant yeah from wherever you want to start wow well I I guess I should start off saying what it is that I do because we probably haven't got into that (laughs) that (laughs) so I run I run a platform called do nation and uh, we're all about encouraging healthy and environmentally friendly habits it's an online platform I guess the thing the thing that drives us as do nation as we've as we've probably touched on very briefly our purpose is a a longing for a future a future world where humans and nature can can thrive together and and our mission specifically is to unlock the power of communities to build that specifically we focus on workplace communities at the moment we've worked in many other areas and we still do work in other areas but that is our core focus and where we found we can have the most impact and what we do there is we we use an online platform game design to and, and behavioral science to to help galvanize millions of employees to make simple everyday pledges um, like cycling to work or wasting less food, switching to a ethical pension, all sorts of actions, big or small, that together can make a make a real lasting difference towards net zero, but also wider sustainability. It's not, I mean, net zero is the big, the big buzzword at the moment. And actually climate, climate action is is 
probably the the fire that fuels me most but it's also about how it links into wider sustainability and health and well-being and all of the other good things amazing and you started this as a one woman project didn't you <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> mad as I was everyone told me the, the the one bit of business advice I had when starting up that I had again and again and again and if I'm ever asked for the one advice to but you know potential entrepreneurs it's the piece of advice I gave I give but I also didn't act on uh and it's find a co-founder right yes <laughs> don't, don't go it alone it's, t- it's, it's tough going it alone but it was also easier in in other ways too and I started it back in 2000 and well 2009 I I kind of began 2010 officially and um back then there wasn't the level of interest there is nothing like the level of interest there is in this space now so finding someone who was mad enough to to join me was not easy and that's that is interesting, isn't it? Because I I think you know I'm coming up to the ten year anniversary of us starting our you know we did a year buying nothing new, and as much as it's frustrating and we feel like things haven't changed and things are moving too slowly, things have really changed, haven't they? In terms of just mainstream public awareness of you know the issue. Because when I think back ten years ago, and you're going even further back, they're, they're just, it just wasn't there, was it? No, it's oh, it's changed unrecognizably. Um, which is great. What I find frustrating is, I'm like, do I go into it? Um, <laughs> what I find frustrating is that what we're doing hasn't changed radically enough. Yes. I've got this big, bold vision of where it can be, and I've always had that, but we've needed, even though we've been going for that long, the actual service we're providing um, and the way the platform works, the functionality, like there's so much more that could be done and there's so many other platforms now jumping up that do the same thing in the same way. And we're all this kind of this. I heard it on a on another podcast the other day. How has it described the gap between what's possible and reality? Right. Can be can lead to well, it's something to reflect on. And it can be frustrating. Mm. Um, but it realizing that that occurs in every industry anyway. I'm diving into frustrations too soon. Um <laughs> But we have been going a long time. The market has woken up unrecognizably in the last two years or so. And suddenly from individuals to organizations, and I mean, they're all linked. Organizations are groups of individuals, right? They, mm. They're all wanting to take more action and that's great. Um, and that is now putting us in a quite an exciting place where we can finally, hopefully, uh, justify investing the time and money and effort in in building those features that could make it much more transformative. So I, I really want to ask you about this big vision, but I, I'm not sure whether we, we need to go back to the beginning yeah, first yeah, or whether we do. go vision <laughs> first. So, <laughs> so what's what's your background? Have you always been, air quotes, an environmentalist? Um, I mean, not always, no. Uh, I look back on how I how I behave and things I worried about and, and when I started university and definitely wasn't the environment but I was brought up on a farm and I studied evolutionary biology and I think an appreciation for nature and the interconnectedness of everything through nature is has always been there I'm diabetic as well and weirdly I think that the kind of understanding of how interconnected and how complex systems are has really I've that's brought it home to me because 
one slight change in my lifestyle or my day and it has a huge impact in in my sugar levels and yeah, anyway there's that's, all sorts no of that's so true parallels. And, um, I talk about this when I do carbon literacy training and Catherine Hayhoe's got a great video on it this you know what's the big difference what's the big deal with like one degree of warming or 1.2 degrees of warming and it's really easy for people to understand why people are like well I don't really understand why we're getting so het up about this but then when you compare it to the human body and you say well if we had a temperature and all that sort of thing and it's all our body systems are so complex and intertwined and connected and as exactly as you said one small change has these big knock-on impacts and it's exactly the same with the planet isn't it Totally. There's, I, I, like, I won't go into it too much now because it's probably a bit of a digression, but there's so many parallels. And I actually wrote a blog a few years ago. It's kind of one of the things I, I think I was most proud of writing almost. Uh, like enjoyed, enjoyed writing most, yeah. maybe. It was about the parallels of diabetes and climate change. But so, so all of those things, I think, laid out uh, the path to me becoming an environmentalist, mm. if you want to call me that. But... It was actually in my third year of university, I went on exchange to Vancouver and some, I met some, some great people there who are part of the University Sustainability Society. And I remember being like, but what's sustainability? What is it? I've never heard that word before. Um, and they got me to sign during Sustainability Week, a sustainability pledge and the UBC Sustainability Pledge. And what they were asking people to commit to was dedicated dedicate their career in one way or another towards building a more sustainable world just a small ask then they weren't just asking. a small ask <laughs> I think it was like factor in you know however you work okay. consider yeah. the world in the work that you do yes. kind of thing um and I signed it and that actually triggered conversations and I remember the friend who I, who got me to sign it I then went on a kind of eight day hike with a few a month or so later and we talked about Behavior, you know what it needs to tackle climate change what's needed and behavior change and the role that that could have and that's really where I think my eyes got open to, wow. to, to the, the impact we're having on the world but also the potential we have to change mm. so yeah going right back that's probably where my donation journey began very fittingly by signing a pledge yes <laughs> um, but it was quite a few years before I actually then um set up do nation so then you left uni and took a regular job and yeah I took, took a few regular jobs uh, uh ranging from being a bus driver in the rockies to wow. um to d- being a waste auditor at edinburgh zoo um all <laughs> trying to like yeah and a consultant working did an internship at a sustainability consultancy in london so huge huge mix of of jobs uh, all trying to get myself into the environmental space. But I learned pretty quickly that I couldn't get very far in those days without a master's. So did the did a master's at Imperial College um, in environmental technology, which was really interesting, really broad, covered loads, mostly policy focused. But this idea of individual action and, and encouraging change through getting people to pledge because of the pledge, like that conversation I'd had with my friend following the pledge got me to ride was still in my mind. And so I ended up, um, well, during the master's, I, I was like, I need one big adventure before I dive deep back into my career proper. Uh, and so that very same friend, actually, and I decided to cycle to, to Morocco. From the UK? <laughs> From London to Morocco. And we, we wanted to use that, as a, that challenge as an opportunity to raise support for, for climate climate change for sustainability 
but I didn't feel comfortable asking people for money. Um, we were just kind of right in the depths. It was 2009, so right in the credit crunch and the financial crisis. Friends were getting tired of endless just giving requests. Um, and actually, the environment really didn't need people's cash. It needs people's action, is what I felt. So, so we asked people to support us with pledges, but to pledge to cycle. You know, we're cycling to Morocco. Can you cycle to work once a week? Um, or we're going to be camping every day. So, how about you take a shorter shower and think about us not being able to have any showers? Um, they weren't all directly linked like that by that, like that. But we listed kind of 10, 15 actions that people could do have a big impact on the environment and ask people to support us through those i'm getting ahead of myself a bit because so that idea was brewing during the masters and because of that i decided to and i got really interested in the idea of pledging and behavior change and it kind of i was more interested and excited by this idea than before and i so i decided to write my thesis for the masters on the role of pledging in driving behavior change environmental behavior change so I spent kind of four or five months just deep diving into anything that had been done in the in the environmental pledge world. And had anything really... been been done in? Yeah, there'd been a whole flurry in kind of 2006, 2007, when there was a lot of attention around climate action. There were a lot of platforms out there, ranging from MS had one, Eurostar had one. No way. For public or for consumers. And the EU even had an EU wide one. And it was just a web page where you could fill in your name and the thing you'd do. And it just joined a list of like thousands of names, just plain text list. It was the most uninspiring thing. <laughs> and un- there was no accountability. You were like, who? Is- I mean, I don't know that person over in Poland. I'm not going to check that they're doing their action. <laughs> BBC had a beautiful site. Um, so there were. Uh, there were lots of big organizations that had amazing technology, apart from EU's plain text, but the others were really <laughs> sophisticated technology. They had great information and they're beautifully designed, but they all lacked real momentum and sense of community. And then the other end of the spectrum, there were lots of real grassroots projects. Um, I remember speaking to someone from the Marlborough Climate Pledge, and she had kind of been out on the street encouraging people in, in, in Marlborough, in the, in the local town, to, to make their pledges. There was a similar one in Oxford. There were lots of different community-driven um, ones within university halls, all sorts of different things happening at a real grassroots level, but they lacked any of the communications tools, any of the information, the ability to like actually have it on a digital platform where you could follow up and ask, hey, did you actually do the pledge that we asked you to do? And it was really, really time-intensive as a result. So they all kind of fizzled because of that reason. And then the big platform, the big kind of MS, uh, BBC type ones fizzled because they didn't actually have the community groundswell. Mm. So that was when I thought, okay, there's potential here. We could build a platform that is designed to be led by the communities that they can take and own, create their own pages for their own projects um, and, and, and events and whatever it is to encourage their communities. But we provide the carbon measurement and the follow-up and the and all of the communications mm. information resources etc etc and um that is exactly what we've gone on to do which is in a, in a slightly roundabout way but we got there via yes. cycling to morocco <laughs> which i haven't <laughs> quite linked back to yet so when you cycled to morocco um again was it just people sending you a piece of paper or you know taking a picture of a them you know a selfie did we have selfies back then <laughs> uh 
No, people, you know what we didn't. I I remember I had a, a little digital camera and I didn't have a smartphone back then. Yeah. And I remember taking selfies with that as I as I cycled. Pioneer. Like, Whoa, how Pioneer. do you get a picture of your yourself? I'm like, ah. Didn't know I was called a selfie back then. Yeah, I am a pioneer of the selfies. God no. Um, don't want that title. Um so so yeah, my masters, I'd done the research and that it turns out acted as amazing market research and, and groundwork for, for what we went on to do. And with the cycle to Morocco, I quickly realized it was it, we needed to have a digital, something digital to enable it. Cause my friends are, I didn't want to, my friends are all over the place. Um, and I wanted to be able to ask friends back in Canada or, or up in Scotland or anywhere to, to pledge. I didn't want to have to go around with a piece of paper like we did at <laughs> primary school. Um, so thankfully a, a wonderful girl, well, twins actually, Haley and Scott, um, set up a, a, a really basic WordPress site for us. And we created a page for each action that people could do, whether it was switching energy or eating less meat. Um, each one had its own page with a contact form at the bottom. And it was a simple, you know, like you see on many websites, we just used a contact form. And they would fill in the fields you had to fill in with your name, your email, how many, you know, depending on the action, how many days would you go vegetarian? How um, how many meat meals would you give up? Uh, how many miles would you cycle? How would you have traveled otherwise? So we asked for all of that information, which we very much like holds true to this day. Now it's a bit more automated because what happened then, I received that in my inbox as an email and I copy and pasted it into an Excel spreadsheet. And, and then I'd set up the columns to calculate then take it all wow. and calculate how much carbon might be saved. And, and then where I'd email them back. Where those figures from? Because like, you know, now my sort of go-to is how bad are bananas, but like, was that information even available then? No, you know what? It wasn't available. We definitely used it for the first iteration of donation, but I don't think it was available then. I think, um, I think my research for the master's thesis had really helped me and I got, I'd got found out where to access a lot of that data okay, from yeah, Death yeah. Sustainability Guides, etc. Oh, or oh, sorry, Data Carbon Footprinting Guides. And I had... I had previously intended to become a carbon footprinting, like to work in life cycle assessment and carbon footprinting. So that was a kind of a skill that I I was keen to hone and develop. So I was a bit of a, I'm a bit of a data nerd like that. I quite enjoy an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Just the very thought of it is bringing me out in a cold sweat. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then email people back, say, thank you for your pledge. I had a template and I just fill in the number of how much carbon they would save. And when I got back from Morocco, one, a few people emailed me. One guy in particular, he was actually climbing Mont Blanc. And he's like, can I, use, can I use it to raise sponsorship? Can I raise sponsorship that way? And I was like, sure, but I'm not going to do all the, all yes, the things, calculations. The spreadsheet isn't getting any bigger. <laughs> yeah, and I remember sitting in Cafe Nero in Covent Garden with him. And when he learned that I'd done it all manually, each, each pledge individually yeah. and emailed them, his jaw just dropped. And he was like, there's no way I'm doing that. Because how many <laughs> pledges did you get? uh well I think we had over 500 400 and something were confirmed yeah what so you went back and checked with them that they'd done it yeah did you (laughs) I I had way too much time on my hands Um, we you know I I set up a, a survey yes an online survey and emailed it out to everyone and asked them to come back and confirm so I didn't I didn't do each one of those individually (laughs) individually but yeah. yeah So I asked when I got back, I a, sent that survey out, but also because they were friends of mine, they're all all one or two people removed from me. 
I heard the stories and I and I saw firsthand, oh, oh, they really have done this. And this actually really has changed their behaviors, but also their attitudes. Seeing the people that started talking really animatedly about, about climate change and the impacts. And one girl who was like, one of the stories I always loved was a girl called Zara, who she pledged to go vegetarian. And she's like, I'd be at dinner parties and say, oh, sorry, I'm vegetarian. I'd be like, what? I didn't think you're vegetarian. Oh, yeah, I'm going vegetarian because these girls I know are cycling to Morocco. Because Hermione's cycling to Morocco. Like, what? Like, what? <laughs> sorry, how does that link? And then she's like, oh, well, they're doing it for climate action. They're like, but how does going vegetarian? And back then, people weren't really that aware of the impact of meat. So I think that's changed hugely now. But it just got conversations going in places that they usually wouldn't happen. And that is so important. If we're going to really make move the diet and, and, and create systems change here, we've got to get everyone talking. And yes. About about the problem, but actually more about the solutions. And conversations are huge, aren't they? And I, and I don't know if you find this, you know, and, and focusing on the sort of workplace. It is a great way to start these conversations with people who wouldn't otherwise go to an environmental group, a sustainability group, or this, that, and the other, because it's a project that works doing, and maybe they get a little nudge from somebody to do it, or you know, there's a bit of a competition going or whatever. Then they start to have these conversations and I think that's such totally. one of the great um ways in isn't it through workplaces maybe a hundred percent so we I'll fast forward through the next bit but when I got back like that that guy asking to use the platform made me go okay there's demand in this we got grant funding in the first few years we built up the platform to automate it for individuals climbing mountains or cycling continents or doing a half marathon or a 5k and that was great but A, we were asking for action, not cash. So we weren't making any money. Mm. We we're all grant funded. Um, and B, there are a limited number of people that are mad enough to cycle continents. <laughs> and so businesses started to ask. One of our first users was a guy who ran um, who ran the London Marathon. He had a place on the ballot. And his wife, uh, Lou Stevens, is the head of sustainability, fitness and drinks. Oh, amazing. And so she made a pledge and was like, this is cool. Can we use this for Innocent, please? How serendipitous is that? Yes, yeah. I know. Embarrassingly, I was like, cool. Yeah, get, why not get like some of your employees to, to, to run a, I don't know, do a 10K walk or to, no, too much effort. Can we just have teams competing? Or we could just put the floors in fruit towers and compete them again, um, pit them against each other to, to see which can make the most pledges. I was like, oh, no, I don't think that would work. You've got to have the like personal challenge part of it. And she wasn't up for that. So I essentially walked away and turned innocent drinks down. <laughs> and then two years later, several other organizations had asked the same. And um, one had offered us loads of pro bono support. They're a marketing agency part of WPP. And they'd given us loads of amazing marketing support. Uh, and in return, asked to be able to run a challenge within their workplace. And it was such a success. I was like, oh oh this works so I went back with my tail between my legs and, was like, <laughs> and thankfully she was very forgiving <laughs> and and uh they ran a brilliant yeah they ran a series of brilliant challenges at Innocent with yeah their teams competing to see which would make the most pledges save the most carbon and it was wonderfully simple and incredibly effective um and that is now the bread and butter of what we do just amazing and I was there a sort of light bulb moment for oh 
because it's it's really lovely having the individual pledges and things. But as you say, in order to be a truly sustainable business in terms of financially sustainable and all that sort of things, there does there does need to be an income generating arm to it. And was that something you struggled with for a while? No, I don't think so. I never really wanted to. I, I toyed with setting up as a charity, but I quickly learned that kind of we wanted to be able to stand on our own two feet and be mm. self-sustaining. And I think it's just a lot, a lot, lot healthier. Um, when we were when we were grant funded, we were constantly having to jump from one project to another because you're always having to get grants to fund new projects. Yeah. And never actually able to invest in the core of the business and building up the platform. And as a tech business, it's very hard to get grant funding to like building tech is expensive. Mm. Uh, it takes a long time. And it's a continuous process as well. You can't do it in a project by project way. It's it's continuous. So we needed to be self-funding. And it was really, you know, it was that program at Innocent, ERM and Added Value. They were the first three in Chester University. They were our first few clients. And just we do an annual impact report and always have and looking at the data after the year that they'd all piloted and seeing, oh, those four projects compared to all of the people we're kind of persuaded to run marathons or do swims, the Great North Swim, all these different things. People were using it for birthdays and wedding lists as well. It wasn't all physical feats. But the impact just from those four organizations totally swamped everything else. Um, you can reach, you know, you, you get one organization with, at that point, it was like, well, a thousand employees. But now we're working with PwC globally. You've got 295,000 employees. You know, like you, oh, yeah. you get into an organization like that and the impact you can immediately have just totally um, overshadows what we can have on the individual side. That being said, the individual side still is a really cool part of what we do. And it's, you know, part of our, our DNA. And I think it has the potential to really take off. We've got, we've got a bit of product development to do on that front before it will really take off. But the potential there is huge. And the, and the way that it empowers individuals who are raising pledges, like if, if someone's asking their friends and families to support them, seeing that it's more, for me, it's more about empowering those individuals who want to take action, like leadership on climate action. Is it, going back to that conversation piece we were saying about, it's a brilliant excuse for a conversation, isn't it? For a climate conversation, you know, as an individual, I want to get 10 people, 20 people, whatever, you know, making a pledge. And so then you have that excuse to bring it up at the dinner table or at the next party you're at or in the school playground or whatever it might be without feeling like you're shoehorning it into the conversation and everybody's feeling really awkward and wants to run away. Totally, totally. It um, gives you the reason. And and actually, I think six, around 60, 60%, 70% of our users, I think it's 68%. Um, say that donation gave them the nudge to get on and do an action is something they've been meaning to do. You know, yes. it's closing the intention action gap. Yes. And people, so many people want to make these changes. They just need that nudge. And it's hard to give them that nudge just out of the blue, right? You need to kind of have a reason and be part of a, whether it's, whether it's a challenge event or whether it's a workplace program and saying, come on guys, let's beat our rival team. It, it gives people the excuse to bring it up. And then actually, when done right, you tend to find, we tend to see most people are really receptive to that. Yeah. And as you say, it's that nudge to do that one thing. And then once you've done that one thing, that's the hardest 
hurdle to get over, isn't it? And then you're like, oh, what can I do next? And what can I do next? And what can I do next? But also I think doing it with a platform like you guys, you feel like you're part of something bigger. It's not just you on your own, like wading through treacle, feeling like no one else cares. You've got a team around you who are, you know, whether they're doing it just because they want to beat the guys upstairs mm-hmm. or whatever it might be, but you're all in it together and you can see that there are other people in your workplace who care and are doing stuff. And that's really, really important. Oh, 100%. And we've always designed it in that way so that on the platform you can see, you know, how much carbon you as an individual are saving. And then how that adds up to your team. So say maybe I'm saving 230 kilograms, oh yeah, kilograms of carbon through my actions, my pledges. And then my team has, you can see maybe has saved 2,000 kilograms. So like, oh, that's a meaningful contribution. Whereas when I look at what the world needs to save, my, yes. 200, my tiny <laughs> bit, it's like, who gives a, but when it's, it, it's a meaningful contribution to my team's total, and then that adds up to the organization's total. And then that adds up to donations total. And that kind of shows how it all adds up. We're now also in 2020, we we helped to launch um, Count Us In. Mm, I did a podcast with them, which I'll link to. Um, oh, yeah. did you? Yeah. Um, so it's a big collaborative project founded by kind of 17 different organizations of which donation was was one. Um, we were the, the platform partner. So launched the actual the, the site. And it's we're now working with, I think there are nearly 20 different aggregator partners so different platforms who are you know traditionally speaking competitors of us uh, but we're all feeding into this countless in aggregator to show how many people are taking action and how much carbon they're saving so that our users can feel part of an even bigger movement but then also collectively we can take those numbers and and this is where the others have then countless in you know the un environment program and ted and accenture and there's some really big players in there and they've got uh, political kind of sway yes. or influence is the word and collectively through Canterson we've now I think 15 million steps over 15 million steps have been taken um, so when you've got numbers that big you start to actually have influence and to be able to the idea is you know be able to go and say look there's demand for exactly to be able to go to governments and say yeah yeah yeah, exactly. yeah we've got 15 million people here who are doing something and they want you guys to do something as well it gives them exactly. that mandate for for change doesn't it mandate exactly yeah yeah so where are you guys at now you said you do your sort of annual impact report and this is a bit mean because um you may not have the figures off the top of your head like how many do you know roughly how many organizations you're working with and I want the big number I want the how many tons of carbon you've saved yeah so we're I can tell you very easily we're saving our users are saving around 15,000 tons of carbon a year so put that into context for somebody who Ooh. that's just an yeah I'm trying to think of what we could put that into well I can look I, I should have um sorry we've got a whole list of of comparables on our site but I don't have those to hand right now I do have one from our landing page and let me just um hmm, shouldn't I, I didn't need to tell you where I'm digging out from today <laughs> um that is as much as 251,377 <laughs> flights from London to Paris Wow. I feel like there might be a better stat that that uh because that's such still a really big number that's hard to compare to. But um Yeah, I was trying to think, is there a country that it's the equivalent of their carbon footprint or you know, something like that? But yeah, it's it's a big and so is that per year or it's a is... good amount. That's that's per year. So that's based on the 
actions that people are taking and that they've come back to confirm. I was going to say, is there any, because it's, we all know it's really easy. It's like making a New Year's resolution. It's really easy to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then like life happens and, you know, gets in the way and stuff doesn't happen. So how many people actually fulfill you know, what percentage of people fulfill their pledges? So we're, yeah, we're pretty conservative on this, probably to our own detriment at times, because our numbers aren't as impressive as others as a result. But I think it's important for credibility. We get our users to come back after two months to confirm how they got on and ask whether they'll continue or not. And then that we only count the savings based on those that have said that they succeeded and will continue. Right. And if people don't bother to come back, which about half of our users don't, because really who does click on an email two months later yes. and remember to fill in that form. Um, it's only two, two questions. It's really light touch, but, and then there's a much deeper impact report for others to fill in if they, if they want, but that, that initial response about 48% of our users come back and confirm that they had success with their pledges. Yeah. Compare that to a new year's resolution. That's pretty good stats. <laughs> pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah. I think new year's resolutions are often, well, a, a whole committing to a whole year. Yes is big it's kind of it's a long time how long do you ask people to make their two months for two months it, originally it was well there's two schools of thoughts around how long it takes to form a to habit make a one, new habit yeah yeah one body of research is 21 days and another says 60 our cycle to morocco was two months so right. 60 days like fitted brilliantly with that and it worked really well and so we've never actually seen a need to change it because two months is a good amount of time to, ch- to change. It feels like you would really embed something. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at offering, you know, t- testing it and, and maybe going down to one month, but I worry that we won't see the, anyway, there's, yes. there's lots of potential to kind of test and, and learn more about the behavioral drivers, but ultimately the amount of time it takes you to change, it depends on the, the habit you're changing. Mm, yeah. And so if an organization comes to you and says, oh, you know, what the level of engagement within organizations? Because I guess and a lot of that will depend on their internal comms and their, you know, how having a few passionate individuals to really push it and drive it and all that sort of thing. But are there companies that are doing this really, really well and getting really high levels of engagement? Yeah. Um, oh, it varies so much. Bet, and yeah. it's something we've actually been putting a lot of time and effort in um, into thinking about recently. My team have been. Because that's our main metric when we work with businesses, like what's their participation rate? Yes. I think there are probably three main factors. There are many factors that influence it. Um, there are three main ones. Two are very much more predictable. One is the organization size. You know, a small organization like Uni, pizza oven makers, we had, I think, nearly 90% of their wow. employees took part. It was incredible. Is that because you feel more a part of something and more, um, yeah. They're a team of about, or at the time, they were a team of about 100 employees. Um, and it was led by one very passionate individual. And at a size of 100, you've got the ability to really reach out to nearly Directly everyone. Directly to everybody. Yeah. yeah. Whereas within an organization, you know, I mentioned we're working with PwC. We're working with a few NHS trusts as wow. well. It's so much bigger. You don't have that. Yes, there could be a few personal. people going wild and making pledges and others are completely oblivious of it. Yes. So size is a big factor. Whether employees are desk-based or not is another big factor. A lot of organizations, I mean, this is common across any employee engagement or comms work, whether it's in environmental space or not. But, you know, if you've got employees who are based on factory floor or out on sites or in the wards, 
they're harder to communicate with because they don't check their emails. They might not even have an email account. They might never look at a laptop other than when they're at home, when they're not thinking about work. So Mm. that is a much harder setting. Uh, So yeah, whether like what proportion of their staff are desk office-based, I suppose, uh, is is the second factor. And then the third one that's much, much harder to predict for, uh, but probably has... Those two, you can see quite a good trend on, and all the noise in the trend graph comes from the human factor of like how passionate and driven are the individuals championing it, and how many individuals do they have championing it? Because we really, really, really recommend, and we've we've been doing a lot of work on helping to train our customers, kind of team champions, do do champions across the organisation. To so each team has their own champion. Um, whether it's in their office or their department or who's advocating for it on the ground. And that's something at SSE, if you ask for who's doing it well, SSE ran a phenomenally successful program last year. They were one of the key sponsors for COP26. And all of their employees wanted to be part of that. They're a Scottish-based energy company. It was very real to them. COP was in, in Scotland. They all wanted to be part of it. They couldn't all be a part of it on site so the donation program gave them a chance to all get involved in doing their part and they went out and so usually when organizations sign up um they create teams based on you know offices or departments or whatever their organization structure kind of whatever makes most sense their organization structure and SSE decided to kind of break the mold a bit and instead of doing that they said right, we've got eight key business units. We're going to recruit five champions in each of those. And we don't care what department they're in within it or what office they're in. And they went out on the internet and, and advertised for their climate captain roles. I think they called it. And asked people to apply or nominate them, like nominate someone or apply themselves and say why you care about climate change and what you would do to engage or like to get your colleagues to take action. That's all they were asked, but those two questions. And they were inundated with applications, like so much passion and energy from people to, to lead change. And I think that's true no matter what organization. Like most organizations, that passion and energy exists, just finding it and finding where those people are. And they were, they were able to find those people. And only about half of those that applied actually got selected. So there was a sense of kind of those that got selected had, had um Oh, that must have been a horrible job to have to say to people. I know. Oh, thanks for your enthusiasm and your passion, but no. (laughs) Well, but you can make a pledge and you can support your champion. Um, But it meant that those that had, you know, got their place as a champion, as a captain, really went for it because there was honour in it. And they they put so much energy in. And it wasn't a case of they weren't formed teams. They were just... And any interaction they had with colleagues and any opportunity to to recruit teammates they could go for it was game like all game just go for anyone you could go across to someone in another division and, and get them to pledge on your page it was just all, it was all fair <laughs> coaching uh, people just, yeah yeah and it and it was fun and they were really creative and playful with it and it made that's it that's so and that's key important. making it fun isn't it like yeah I was gonna say do you, you know what are your, some of your top tips for you know, people are listening to this and A, they might want their, whoever they work for to, to sort of investigate do nation, but lots of people will be feeling a sense of frustration that it feels like nobody else in their organisation is into this or cares about it and is trying to engage people. I think making it fun is 
hugely important, isn't it? But any other tips? And how do you make it fun, I guess? Because sustainability can be quite dull, can't it? It can be. So let's start on the how to make it fun. I think the friendly team competition is that inevitably brings out the team rivalry, which is all usually in like it's in good good nature and good humor. The tone of voice is really important and there's been lots of good research. And actually the guys at Countersin have also done lots of great um or compiled lots of great research on the importance of messaging around climate comms. We've always kind of tried to have quite a playful Yes, playful tone. We rather than um, say calling like all the actions have quite playful names. So, veg out instead of go vegetarian. Kind of playful names and, and icons, and the content is we try and just keep it quite fun and playful. Um, so there's the kind of the comms. There's the team competition. Um, having some fun prizes and incentives as well, but ultimately, how much fun should we be making of it? It's always yeah. I got told off once for putting a you know flippant sort of jokey comment on a Facebook thing and you know and yeah. it, it is that yeah it is a really really serious issue but I also feel like if we make it doom and gloom and serious like who's going to want to come and join it exactly like, yeah it's a hard one to know how to balance my yes. um got a great colleague called Claude who joined um as our chief engagement officer a, a, a few years ago and she's this is an area she's very interested in and actually made a good point that, you know, when we started Do Nation 10 years ago, and she's been following our journey right from the beginning, playful was the way. But now climate change is, is a bit more serious. Yeah. Uh, and it's a bit more real than now. And we do need to keep it positive because despair doesn't motivate anyone. But, yeah, finding the balance is a constant, yes. constant task. Yeah. Any other tips then for people wanting to engage people around them in their organization in their family I always think give people the choice let them choose what what they're going to do in in their lifestyle and what's right for them so as you did on your first thing here's 10 things and pick one that you yeah fancy. if you were to go to someone and say you should go vegetarian like they'll get defensive yes <laughs> say hey like here are some things you can like we should all be reducing our carbon footprint what are you going to do give them mm-hmm. the agency to to choose because yes everyone's situation is different and I think you get people's backs up and get them quite defensive if you go in too much with the instructional, this is what you should do. Giving them choice is important. And meeting people where they're at, so letting them pick an action that's as ambitious as they're, they're willing to do right now, but make sure this is what we're, where we're really focusing on over the next few months and years really is is making sure we take people on a journey beyond those initial actions so you can start small but we need to start ramping up pretty quickly thereafter but meet them where they're at if they're not ready to make big changes so for some people meet free monday might feel a bit of a challenge and a task and so let's get them started doing that and then as you say then trying to move people on towards much more plant-based or and more times than not once they've done something like oh that wasn't that, that wasn't bad. So bad. And actually, <laughs> you know what? This this um tofu well, tofu is maybe not the I had some delicious tofu last night and changed <laughs> my view on tofu. So that's why I'm thinking of tofu, but I've never been a fan. Okay, so time. sorry, we need to pay, take a pause here and say what was so because I'm sure lots of people are in the same boat as you with tofu. How, what what was done that magic? What was the magic with the tofu? Really well marinated and okay. probably fried. <laughs> I don't know. Just um 
had you were eating out were you it was really crispy yeah i was eating out I didn't uh, okay it i've got no idea what they did to it that's <laughs> 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 good yeah anyway a lot of people like once they've tried something realize oh that really wasn't that bad and actually it has loads of other benefits too yes cycling to work is is a you know the classic one oh i feel healthier and i arrive at work more energized and i save money and there's so many other benefits that once people experience that they're going to be more open to 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 other changes yes yeah is there any company you wouldn't work with you know you were saying you sort of worked with SSE and they're an energy company and sometimes we see the you know traditional non-renewables companies as the big baddies and so you know if Shell or BP or something came to you yeah. have you guys had this discussion about what you would what you we, would say? we have and we come <laughs> back to it often um and it's actually a live conversation at the moment and I'll, 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 tell, I'll tell you why my view has always been and, and our and our kind of our policy which as I say is is being reviewed at the moment is that for public facing campaigns if it's if it's consumer facing if it's sponsoring thing we will not work with anyone whose core business model is counter to any of our actions so you know even if they're doing great things in one area we were talking to a bottled water company very right. well-known bottled water company who is doing a lot of great and bottled drinks company i should say who is doing a lot of great work on encouraging recycling. And that's one of our actions. And they were going to sponsor that. Like, and you are genuinely doing a lot of great work on your recycling, but only because your core business is creating plastic waste. Yeah, so you <laughs> have that to. needs to be recycled. So we don't yeah. really want to. So, so we, we put in a, so, so for that, it's clear cut. If your business, core business is counter to any of the actions that we work on, no, we can't work with you publicly. However, when it comes to employee engagement, I personally would rather work with Shell than WWF. Right. I think changing the mindsets and actions of employees within the system of organizations like Shell could be way more powerful than encouraging WWF employees. Yes. And we've worked with WWF. Yeah. <laughs> but they're already on the journey. They already know the importance of our actions and and, and the wonders and the amazingness of our of our world. Whereas if we can encourage employees at Shell to use them as yes. an example to to think differently and to question maybe what they're doing you know what maybe they decide they want to work for a more progressive organization right yes. <laughs> that's not part of our sales pitch <laughs> <laughs> all your employees will bugger off away yeah <laughs> then if we're doing our job right yeah then I think we could have a much bigger impact there that being said um the reason we're having like this this policy this document is being reviewed at the moment is we had uh, an arms company, a missile company, uh, approach us to sign up just as the Ukraine uh, war was starting. And I think they, you know, they export arms. Yeah. Do they export arms to Russia? I feel like that's what I remember hearing. Uh, and we were just like, no, no, we're not going to make your employees feel better about what they're doing because we can't have an impact on ultimately what, what they're doing. And it's hard because then where do you draw the line? And this is why it's under review. Yeah, yeah. Almost having to do it on a on a case by case basis. So we we know, you know, where you were and how it all started and where you are now and the this, you know, amazing impact that you're having. But you mentioned that big vision earlier and the frustration maybe you feel between sort of having that vision and achieving it. What what is mm. that big vision from your personal perspective as the founder, I guess? I mean, the vision really is about galvanizing millions of people yeah. to take action and beyond just the behavior change but actually taking them on a journey towards 
much longer, so kind of wider spread impact and actions. So I think at the moment we've had kind of 40,000 people taking actions, which is just great, but it's not enough. We want to get to millions. Yeah. And we, and we specifically really are looking to invest in the product in a way that takes users from the individual actions through to the systemic change. Yes. Um, so, you know, as I said, individual actions are a key to tackling climate change. That, that The impact of them adds up in amazingly empowering ways, but alone they aren't enough. And it's never been our intention just to be about those individual actions. We don't want people to go, cool, I'm using my reusable water bottle, done my bit, move Job on. Job done, yeah. We need to build up and take them on a journey. So is that around empowering them to feel able to then influence others and to have more conversations and to almost, they might not resonate with the label activist and we've been talking about this in my um, community but actually that they are becoming you know they are an activist and they are influencing part of that systemic change somehow absolutely um it's yeah it's a it's about encouraging people to be activists whether they put that label on it or not and and we've seen it happen anecdotally again and again um and examples like one of the guys at Network Rail, when they signed up, he had pledged to use a reusable water bottle. And then, and he was a, a site manager, or I think he was actually the director of one of the divisions that had signed up. And he was out on one of the sites where they have hundreds of employees working on the rail. And he saw stacks of water bottles because that's how their staff were getting their water to drink during the day. And he, there he had been making all this effort with his own one bottle. And saw that, like, what are we doing? And so he he made a pledge change, to change the policy so that there would be refill stations and and they wouldn't offer single-use bottles to their staff anymore. So there's like systemic change at, at that level. And then also actually becoming activists publicly. So, you know, maybe you're cycling to work and you become a cyclist and you're like, okay, so now I can cycle. I'm going to help encourage others to cycle. And I'm going to yes. write to my local council or MP to encourage them to improve their facilities. And And again, we've seen that happen. We just need to see more of it happen. Yeah, that's so amazing. So how can people, if people are listening and they're thinking, this all sounds awesome, I want to get involved. What are the various ways that people can can come and can get involved? Well, <laughs> they can go to wearedonation.com and make a pledge. Uh, anyone can do that right now. As an individual, you can just go and make a pledge. Now, as I say, it's most powerful and empowering and you're most likely to complete it if you do it as part of a community. Sure. Um, so if your workplace isn't on there, get your workplace signed up. And so that means, you know, going to HR, whoever the, whoever the decision makers is, whoever the purse holders are and saying, I've just, you know, can you listen to this podcast? I think it'd be amazing yeah. for us. Um, you know, here, here's the person you need to contact or whatever. Absolutely. There's different ways and depending on your organization's culture, um, we've seen a lot of people successfully get there by actually you can go and sign up and create a free trial for up to 10 people. Oh, okay. And then you can pay for, you know, just your direct team. And that's that's how it started at Network Rail. Someone passionate signed up for her direct team. And then the bosses saw it and like, okay, we need to do this. Oh, amazing. So so you as an individual can go create a free trial and then show that to your, show them like this is what it could look like. And that could yeah. be a better way to, to get them signed up. Yeah, great idea. You can also, I should have mentioned this sooner, but we're organizing um, a big cycle from Swansea to London for, well, ahead of COP27. We organized, our f- the Rider Change last year was 
was a cycle from London to Glasgow for COP26. And we had 175 people cycling over seven days. Everyone was raising pledges on donation to encourage climate action. I think we had over five, 6,000 pledges made. It was absolutely incredible. But most of all, the community of people cycling together through wind and rain and sun and and hills. And it was was just, it was the most most amazing thing I've done in my career, I think. It was definitely a, a highlight of my career to date. Um, and so we're doing it again, 2nd to the 5th of November. Tickets are now on sale. Uh, we're aiming to have 200 people you can join for one day or I was going to say, days. can you, because I'm thinking, yeah. oh, God, the juggle with the kids and I don't yeah. know that I could do, you know, five days or whatever. But if you can just say so Swansea to, did you say Swansea to London? Yeah. You might even come past me so I could join in for that. <laughs> Great. Well, the final day, we're expecting the biggest number and it's from Newbury um, down through kind of south of Reading and up um i think kind of near woking and up into into london um on saturday the 5th of november so yeah hopefully that's a day many many will join and will arrive in westminster to take the message to our leaders ahead of them leaving for cop 27 in egypt we're not cycling to egypt uh <laughs> with the message of look people care they want they want you to take bold and meaningful action sadly our leaders need to hear that I could we could probably do a whole podcast on on just the cycle trip because already I have so many questions. How good do I need to be at cycling? How fast do I need to be able to go? What do I need to is all that information available on the website? It is, but what I will say is it's open to all sorts. Last year we had people that never cycle more than 10 miles. On day one, there were some people on on Boris bikes. <laughs> we had a load of people on Bromptons. Yeah. There was someone in their 80s on an electric bike. Like We've got all sorts. It's really open to all. And then there were others who were kind of iron, Ironman yes. medalists. You know, we had and, and, and pro cyclists, a guy who had broken a world record for cycling around the world the fastest. You know, we, it really is all sorts. And everyone, I mean, we wrote, we split off into different groups and people arrived yes. at different times. But it was the most welcoming kind of supportive community of people. So, And so to, to take part, there's a, a fee to join in. Yeah. And uh, so it's organised by Adventure Uncovered, who are and and break the cycle, who do this kind of stuff for a living. We don't. Uh, we, we run a digital platform. Events isn't our bag. But they, I'd be like, thankfully... I'd have an OS map with a highlighter on it and give it to, yeah. to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they they will be planning brilliant routes, and and they'll be checking the routes and cycling the routes in advance. And so there'll be a GPS file for that, but it's not all signposted. It's supported, so they carry your bags from the start to oh, the end amazing. each day. And then they're also organising talks and film screenings and site visits to, to cool sustainability projects along the way. So it's it's educational as well each evening. One of the best evenings last year was there was like a soapbox night and everyone got to, it was voluntary, but to get up and you had two minutes to just talk about the project that you worked on or a project you thought was cool. The diversity of people in the room yes. from policymakers through to youth activists, um, like engineers working on some kind of deep, renewable yeah. technology uh fruit and hydrogen and stuff that blows my mind a bit through to farmers uh, mm. people working in regenerative agriculture and it's just everything and there's so many so much inspiring stuff to learn from yeah and do you so when you sign up do you have to then say i'm going to get five pledges or ten pledges or like how does the pledge side of it work yeah we ask everyone to raise 20 pledges as the goal okay. i mean we, we don't 
Some people didn't raise any. Matt Hocking, who topped the, we have a leaderboard of every, all the riders. So by signing up, you will be on the leaderboard and you will see how many pledges you've got. So it's a little bit of... Oh, so it's a pledge leaderboard rather than yeah. how fast you arrived. Because I was yeah, like, no, I'd no, be right no, down no there. No, speed, no fitness competition. <laughs> all about the pledges and the carbon. And every night we'd update and they'd be like, who's stopping? And the rivalry between the five at the top was yes. amazing. But Matt Hocking, who is a brilliant guy from Cornwall who runs an eco-design agency called Leap, he, he had like four or 500 pledges. He went wild. Um, he did so well. And then there were a couple of guys from NHS Southampton who did, who raised, I mean, the people, some, some people just got hundreds and then others, it wasn't their bag. And that's understandable. Yeah. Like not everyone, yeah. We don't give. Yeah. We don't want. I don't want to give people too easy a get out clause. There actually, everyone has to raise twenty pledges. <laughs> um. So so we can go and do it as an individual. There's a free option if you want to do it because presumably you could do it as a family. You could, you know, if there's less that you know, and, and get a group of friends of less ten people or less. Like, are people able to do that? Yeah, and you can as an individual. You can go and create a page of your own. Um, and ask you know, ask friends and family to pledge on, right. on there. That's all free. That's totally free. There's limited customization with that. Sure. Um, with organizations, you can kind of customize which actions yeah. you're offering and you get reporting and um, the data out of the back of that. With the individual version that's free, it's it's quite basic, but it also, it can be mightily effective. That's the job, yeah. And so if you're part of a, you know, a sustainability group or something like that, there's that option as well. You could create that page for your sustainability sure. group. and they We could... also give a free subscription. We've got a donation of donation. <laughs> nice mouthful. Um, so we give a free subscription to, to Donation Pro, the organization version, to a community group. If you've got, or I can share the link to the criteria. Okay. I think it's if you've yeah. got less than 10 employees and um, we give one away a quarter. Um, okay, so exactly. there's a yeah. simple application, really simple application form for that. So if you're a community group, nonprofit who who thinks that you could drive, you know, re- really make mm. make the most of the platform, we would love to see you using it. That's what it's there for. Amazing. I could talk to you for hours, Hermione, but I'm sure you said you're going on holiday tomorrow. So you've got lots of other things you need to be doing. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to flag up or anything we've not covered no, I think we've covered everything. Right, amazing. The cycle to London. That was that was meant to be my key call out. I got that in there at the end. Yes, brilliant. And I will. Um, this probably isn't going out until beginning of September, but people can still sign up then. But there's an early bird thing that I will flag up on social media and things um, right. before this goes out. Um, and socials. Do you know what all your socials are for people to come and find you? Yeah, we're actually the donation um, on most of our socials. We used to we dropped the the, but we've still got it on our socials. So the underscore do nation. Okay, brilliant. You'll find us there. And I'll link to all of those in the in the show notes and things so people can come and find you. But um, yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for, I'm always, always in awe of someone who's taken just the nugget of an idea and then created like a whole fully fledged business with employees and massive impact and things like that. So it's it's hugely inspiring. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Jen. It's been, it's been a pleasure and an honour. thank you so much
You've been listening to Sustainable-ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness, with me, Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is. I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small. Every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time.